0: If you will, take your Bible and turn to the scripture that you find on the screen. And uh, um, if you'll do that, I'll appreciate it. And uh, uh, trying to get my clock there. Heard a story many years ago when men used to wear wristwatches and not watch their phones for their clock. Preacher took off his. Preacher stood in the pulpit and uh, uh, the. he called the scripture. A little boy sitting next to his mom said, What does that mean? He said, He's about to read the Bible. He asked him to stand and said, What does that mean? He said, That means we're respecting the Lord. When they sat down, he took his wristwatch off and laid it on the pulpit. The little boy said, What does that mean? She said, Not a dad gum thing. <laughs> so, uh, um, now uh, you have to. Now I want to tell you this: you have to be from South Mississippi to understand what the word "dad gum" is. It's not a cuss word, okay? But it's close. I got you. All right. Thank you so much for being here today. Again, Mark 16. If you weren't here last week, can I roll this back? Is that okay? If If you weren't here last week, last week we took a a pretty good snapshot of the crucifixion. We We walked through it from the upper rooms, last supper, to the garden, to the arrest, to uh, the house of Annas, to Caiaphas, to uh, Pilate, to Herod, to Pilate, and then ultimately to the cross. And we painted a good picture about how abused Jesus was and how he, when he was scourged, A lot of people died at the scourging post. We painted a great picture. And then as he was on the cross for six hours and his seven sayings till finally he bowed his head and died, and that was significant because people who were crucified generally died of asphyxiation. And when you die of asphyxiation... Instead of bowing your head, you raise your head, mouth open, trying to gasp for breath. But Jesus didn't do that. He bowed his head and died. It's significant because nobody took his life. He gave his life. And then Joseph took him down off the cross, took the cross member down, laid him on the ground and, and wrapped him and put him in the tomb. And Last week we left them in the tomb. They had that two-ton boulder that rolled down the hill, over the entrance of the tomb. And then the Romans didn't think that was secure enough. So they came and put Roman seals. And that should secure it because if you broke those Roman seals, you were in danger of punishment of death. They thought he was secure. So today we're going to read the end of the story. It's three days later. It's Sunday. We call it Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. If you have found that scripture, would you please stand to honor, if you can, stand to honor the reading of God's word. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can look on the screen or there may be one in the pew in front of you. Mark chapter 16, and it reads like this. Listen intently. This is God's holy word. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, which was Mary Salome, brought spices so they... And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white clothes, and they were alarmed. And, they, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. This is a good place for an amen. Amen. He, he has risen. Oh, I don't think you believe it. I'm going to say that again. He has risen. Amen. Amen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Heavenly Father, would you be with us these next minutes? Would you please open our eyes and our hearts to all that you want to tell us today? I pray that you will not only tell us, I pray that you will draw us. And I pray that when we leave here, we'll be changed people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Can you imagine what that first resurrection day, that first Easter was like? I mean, you think about it. They knew that Jesus was dead. He was secured in the tomb. And all of a sudden, strange and wonderful things happened. A flurry of activity. And, and nobody had a handle on really what was going on. And, and it, it all stemmed from that crucifixion. These are the people who, who, who was getting Active and antsy that morning, these were the people who scurried to the darkness, scurried to the dark rooms, fled when Jesus was crucified. You know, nobody could figure out what was going on that morning. Are you all with me? Nobody knew what was going on that morning. But I'm going to give you good news. I have the answer. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus is alive. Take it to the bank. It's the heart of the gospel. It's why we're here today. You disprove the resurrection and you will dispense with Christianity. And trust me, if time permitted, I could talk to you about book after book after book where people, men who were unbelievers, set out to disprove the resurrection. And they couldn't. One was a lawyer, Frank Morrison. He, he set out to disprove the resurrection, and he wound up writing a book. You can write this down and go look at it. It's a great read Who Moved the Stone? Chapter one of that book is The Book That Refused to Be Written. You see, the, the truth is, the truth is, is that the resurrection is our heartbeat. Like the, like the heart pumps blood to the body. It's the resurrection. That's how we gather here today. And on Easter, <laughs> on Easter, everything seems full. Everything seems full. This morning, boys and girls woke up. And my young, thank you boys for, and, and Kate, Kaylee for not abandoning me. Most of them abandoned me up there, yes. Many young people today woke up this morning with full Easter baskets, candy. Today, uh, we've already filled our bellies over in the uh, uh, fellowship hall, if you ate with us. Mike and his crew just did a wonderful job. And uh, uh, we fill our bellies. In a little bit, you're going to houses with your family. Your houses will be filled. Everything seems to be filled on Easter. And that's good, but here's what I want to say to you. It's also a time of being empty. Empty. Well, you know what empty is. Empty is when you got nothing there. <laughs> I could call somebody's name, but I'm not going to. It could be your gas tank. Could be your bank account, hopefully not. It could be a class. We've all experienced things that are empty, and today I want to talk to you about being empty at Easter. And I'm going to do it to you in two slices, so you can stay with me. You have your notes and your bulletin there. The first, we're going to begin with the first Easter. Things that were empty in the first Easter. As the scripture opens, the ladies are on the way to the tomb. That's kind of unusual. I mean... Jesus was crucified. It all happened kind of suddenly. They didn't have a chance to take care of uh, his body before Joseph put him in the tomb and rolled the stone down. And now they're going back three days later to anoint him. They loved him. And they wanted him to have what we would call a proper burial. And so they were going to the tomb. But what's so unusual about it is they knew this two-ton, two-and-a-half-ton stone was rolled downhill over the stone And so only okay, ladies, don't charge the platform, don't beat me up. Only ladies would have go down there and go, "Who's going to roll the stone for us?" Men would have got some equipment before we went because we didn't want to waste the time. But ladies, you don't know what they were thinking. They're going, "Who will roll the stone for us?" Well, the soldiers wasn't going to do it because it had a Roman seal on it. They could have been put to death. And as they journeyed toward the tomb on this first day. Their love, obviously for Jesus, overwhelmed them so much that they weren't thinking with their heads. They were thinking with their hearts. They just had to do something for their Lord that they loved so much. Those hands that had healed were now lifeless. Those feet that had walked many miles were lifeless. A heart that beat with love. Lifeless. They had to go do something. I'm just going to tell you. It's not on the screen. It's not on your notes. But you just mark this down. These ladies, their, their hearts were pouring out of what used to be love for their Lord was now hurt and anguish and pain for their Lord, and they had to do something. So they journey on their way. Let me just give you three things that they would see on their way. First of all, I believe that they, in my glorified imagination, I believe they saw the empty cross. Now, the cross that they would have seen is not like the three you see up here, because quite likely the cross members of all three crosses would be gone. The patibulums were lifted off as the victims were laid to the ground. But they could still look and see that ominous place. It was so ominous because the whole mountain itself, it was called Golgotha, the place of the skull, because to look at it from the front, it looked like a skull. Very ominous place. Place where people died. And they walked by and they could see the place where Jesus died. Seeing that cross, maybe like seeing this cross, brought back to their mind so many emotions. They they remember the violence of that day. They remember the bloody mess that Jesus was. They remember the crown of thorns, Him bleeding again. They remember the scourging post. They remember the nails. They remember the walk up the Via Dolorosa to Calvary. They remember it and tears flow again. The cross that was filled with the only Son of God was empty. Can you see that cross today? Can you see it? I'll come back to it later. Empty cross. Second thing they saw as they moved forward was an empty grave. You could say empty tomb if you'd like, but when they arrived at the grave... Nothing shy of something amazing. The grave was open. Now, Matthew's account tells us that they may have, he indicates that they may have felt the earthquake that opened the grave. But the other three gospel writers seem to think that when the ladies arrived, the grave was open. It doesn't matter. Here's what I want to tell you. When they got there, the stone was rolled back. Now, the amazing thing to me, and since I picked on the ladies one time, is that, let me just say this. It's not... For me, knowing a Sovereign God, he can roll the stone back. The amazing thing was that the ladies walked into the tomb. Into the tomb. I worked in the funeral home business for a while. Nobody wants to go in the prep room or in a grave. Y'all got me? Oh, y'all are, y'all are already going to sleep. I'm just telling you, it's a place of death. And they walked. Now, watch this. See if you get spooked. So they go where their where they're loving, where their Jesus, their Lord, is in the grave. The stone's rolled away, and they walk in, and here's a live person over here on the side. Would you have been spooked a little bit? And then he said, and then he said, oh, don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in this grave, and I'm not going to be afraid. You know, what I know is that people will approach death with a lot of caution. I have to pause to tell this story. I didn't tell it first hour, so you're getting this for free. When I worked in a funeral home, we, uh, our funeral home owners didn't, didn't allow human remains to stay. You'll love this, Teresa, to stay in the, uh, uh, in a house without a live person there. So we had to spend the night. Of course, the joke among all of us was, okay, so you, you have somebody there who's passed away in the building, and somebody breaks in to do them harm, and so you put a live person there to give them another target, and maybe drum up business for the funeral home. That's kind of what we thought, okay? You'll see what I'm telling you? But uh, uh, first time I went there, I was le- leaving out uh, with my little suitcase, a little pack, and uh, my son all about your age at the time. He said, Daddy, Mom tells me you're spending the night at the funeral home. And I go, I am. You want to go? He goes, no. Hey, I don't think they've ever forgiven me for that. I'm trying to make the point that nobody likes to be around death. And here these ladies come to the empty tomb and they don't even check up. They go in and they find Jesus is gone. They hear the words. He's not here. He's risen. Now, if they're in a crowd this side, there may be somebody sitting here going, yeah, Brother Jerry, that's a good story that Jesus is alive. He was dead and alive. But I just don't believe it. Let me just tell you some reasons why you better, you better uh, bank on this. Number one is that had Jesus been dead, somebody would have told it. Hello, those soldiers, when they went back to tell their religious leaders that Jesus had escaped, a dead man had escaped. If he had have been alive and they knew it, they'd have told it to stay out of trouble. In fact, their bosses, the religious leaders, if they'd had any hint that Jesus was really dead and not alive, they'd have go, they would have turned heaven and earth upside down to find him and go, guys, he didn't, he's not alive, here he is. But the most telling is, if he had not resurrected from the grave, when the disciples were martyred for Jesus, they'd have told it. Never been been proven in psychological history that somebody would die for a lie. When they hung Peter upside down to crucify him, he'd have gone, Oh, no, no I'm just kidding. It's is okay. But that's not what he said. You know what he said? He's alive. When they amputate, when they, uh, when they cut off a head, they said, He's alive. That's what they said. He's alive. I'll die because He's alive. That'll come clean. I'm going to tell you how I know He's alive because He lives right here. Does He live right here in you? Does He walk with you? and t- Oh, we love singing that song for years and years. He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I'm in on. Does He walk with you and talk with you? Where do you carry Him? Where do you go? When I think, when I think, of the empty tomb, I'm reminded of that scripture that says, O death, where's your sting? And grave, where's your victory? You see, when, I, when I'm reminded that he's resurrection from the grave, I, I am reminded that he's won the victory. And in winning the victory, when I received him, he's transferred that to me. First Corinthians 15 tells us this, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day. And here's what I tell you. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over all his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with the saints to reign. You see, Jesus Christ is alive. That day they saw the empty cross. That day they saw the empty grave. But there's one more. That day they saw the empty clothes. The empty clothes. I wonder why. I've wondered as much why. John is the only one that says, and we saw his clothes lying there. We saw his clothes. Have you ever thought about what significance of his clothes? We don't know all the reasons and rationale. Perhaps he took off his burial clothes Because he was through with them. When he took off those barrier clothes, maybe he said, I'm leaving my earthly sorrows behind. I'm leaving my earthly struggles behind. Perhaps when he left his clothes, it's like those who have trusted Christ and follow Christ one day will turn loose of this shell of a body. How many times could I say it in this message? I said it a lot first hour. This is but a shell. And one day we'll be turned loose of this. We'll be transformed. These are just, this is just the bars of clay. I look around, we probably have some folks who remember the old Happy Goodman family. Vestal Goodman with that powerful voice. She would sing, the holy hills of heaven call me. And this, from this bars of clay, these, they will burst wide open when the angels set my spirit free, and I'll take my flight like a mighty eagle when the holy hills calling me. We need to think about this, about taking our flight from this body. If the past twelve months has not taught us anything else. Should have brought into full view the possibility of untimely physical death. Our bodies are not immortal. Just want to know the truth, they're kind of frail. Jesus' clothes were used up, they'd served their purposes, and sooner than we might like to think, these old bodies will be used up. In his case, he was ready to return home. He returned home and transformed and he came back and walked with his disciples to help him and help us. If you've seen this, the first Easter, what was empty? The cross, the grave, the clothes. When you look at that, you should be reminded that God can take a tragedy and turn it into a trial. Hmm. Are you guys okay this morning? All right. I'm just making sure. Because I want to move now from the first Easter to the final Easter. The final Easter. And if you've not been listening, would you listen to this one question right now? What if today was your final Easter on earth? What if this? What if before you left this building, your bars of clay burst open and your spirit went into eternity? Again, you think of this past twelve months. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. We should know that. This pandemic's cost us, uh, taught us nothing else. It should have taught us that no one is guaranteed tomorrow, young or old. late August, early September. I'd already accepted your call to be the pastor, and I was in one of my last DOM meetings. It was a Zoom meeting. There about 25 or 30 of us on this Zoom call. One of my dear friends, his name's Alan Stevens, He had pastored a church in the early '80s, and I pastored the same church in the early. 90s. I mean, we've known each other for 40 years. He'd been in a. Uh, he'd been in an um, associational work for almost 30 years. Just had a normal conversation on this Wednesday. The following Monday morning, I got a text that said, "Pray for Alan." He is in the hospital fighting for his life, and on Tuesday he died. Now listen, this guy was a fighter, sweet man, but just he was a fighter. He had already been through a couple of cancers and some other things, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm probably of all the people that I know who have passed this past year. I'm still not over that. But there comes a time when our, when our bodies give up the grave. But death is not the only thing that could make this the final Easter for you or me. From my study of God's Word, there is not one prophecy left to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. We don't hear much about that. Now, uh, 45 years ago when I was here the first time, we sang all kind of songs. Redemption draweth nigh. Uh, The king is coming. We sang everything focused on the second coming. You don't hear that much anymore. But I want to say this to you. Jesus didn't die simply for us to have a beautiful building and wonderful people, a beautiful building to meet in and wonderful people to know. Jesus died to change our life, to take us from death to life, to take us from hell to heaven, to take us from the road to destruction to the road to paradise. Song, gospel song, Midnight Cry. I hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it's closer now than it's ever been. I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds the call told the first hour, I have a problem with that lyric right there. And I'm going to tell you why. Scripture never says Gabriel is going to sound the call. Are you listening? Scripture never says Gabriel's going to sound the call. But there are a myriad of places where it talks about the voice of Jesus being like a trumpet. When I sing that song, and I don't sing much anymore, I can almost hear the trumpet... As it sounds, the final call, because I don't believe when the Heavenly Father turns to Jesus and said, Buddy, it's time. Go get them. I don't think he's going to assign that to Gabriel. I think he's going to stand up and call us home himself. It's kind of like, my sheep know my voice. The midnight cry comes from Matthew 25, where Jesus told the story of the wise and the foolish virgins says, uh, and the call came at midnight. The bridegroom is coming. And the foolish virgins had no oil for their lamps. Listen to me, Baptist. All through the Bible, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit? Well, certainly you get saved, but then we're told to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. Let your life be controlled by the Spirit. You see, on that final Easter, we will need to be filled with the Spirit of God. So what might be empty on that final Easter? You ready? First of all, there could be an empty life. An empty life. We live in the age of extremes. Before the pandemic there was not a person in this room who needed one more thing on their schedule, one more activity to do, one more responsibility, one more place to go. Could I get an amen? Our life was on overload. And today we're trying to get it back on overload. We are we are difficult people. I mean, we're hard heads. Our schedules can be full while our lives can be empty. You see, uh, if I were to give you an illustration, there are people all across this land who have done well. Sports figures, six, seven, eight-figure income. Celebrity singers, actresses, six, seven, eight-figure income. Own many houses. Please listen. I believe those folks would sell every house they had if they could have a home. A home of peace and love and joy. A home like Jesus wants to give us. You see, Jesus gives us meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Is your life empty or full? Second thing I'd say to you is in that final Easter, there'll be those with a, an empty hope. An empty hope. There are people among us who think the world will just get better. The world will just get we're such good people, the world will get better. Yet the Bible says the heart is deceitful. Of all people, Jerry Springer, I heard him say this a number of years ago, for the first time in America. We are not leaving the coming generation with a better country than we inherited. What kind of hope does that give for our children? To place our faith in the government, don't get me laughing, place our faith in the government, and our money, and our retirement account, or something else is to build our lives on the sinking sand of uncertainty. An empty hope will leave us hopeless. At that final Easter when he comes, he is the blessed hope. And then finally, there'll be some in that day that'll have an empty heart. God created mankind. That'd be you and me. With a God-sized hole in our heart. Oh, we know it. We instinctively know there's a God-sized hole in our heart. And we try to fill it with everything else in this world. We try to fill it with activities, money, sports, pleasure, education. Listen, men, we try to fill it with pride. Pride. And it never satisfies. Jesus can quench the thirst that you have. Jesus can fill the hole that you have. This Jesus that resurrected from the grave. What is in your heart today? Brother Jerry, nobody knows what's in another person's heart. I've said this so much, new folks. I've said it so much that the folks who've been here with me for six months are tired of hearing it but it deserves repeating. You can believe if you want to nobody knows what's in your heart but people do know what's in your heart. Scripture teaches us that we can know what's in somebody's heart. Watch this. Out of the overflow heart flows the out of the overflow of the heart flows the issues of life. I mean, that's what you do. Out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speak. That's what you say. You watch somebody what they do and say, you know exactly. In fact, I said this not long ago. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Our heart longs to be filled. longs to be filled with our Creator. We try to fill it with other things, but it will never be satisfied until it is filled with the presence of Holy God. Oh, Brother Jerry, you're just a preacher. Well, you know what it is? This is this is not what I do, this is who I am. Because Jesus has taken has taken every opportunity I have given him to throw me under the bus, and he's avoided it. We live in a live and let live and I'll do my own thing and I'll do it my way and I don't care what anybody else says. It's all about me. We live in that kind of a culture. And I feel that there are many people who are living life like those foolish virgins. When the end comes, when that final Easter comes, I'll be able to talk my way into heaven. I have a friend that told me that. I'll just... I believe I can reason with him, and I've told him, I called him by name, and I said, Danny, it doesn't work like that. This is boot camp. What you do with Jesus here determines what happens on that final Easter. Whether you have life or not depends on what you do. It could depend on what you do today. I'm going to end with this story. I hope it speaks to you like it speaks to me. Excuse me. Little eight year old boy was named Philip. Philip was a little different than the other eight year olds. He never felt like he belonged. He was a little frail, sickly, some things going on. Kids never really involved him, and I want to say to his boys and girls and the teenagers. Don't be mean to people who are a little different than you. But they kind of kept him on the outside, and he went to Sunday school one Easter Sunday morning. And the teacher, Sunday school teacher, gave them an egg. I'm calling it an egg, but it's big enough, like a big Thing they used to sell penny in. All right, go ahead and smile. I know, but that's how big the egg was. And the teacher gave each child eight or nine of them this egg and told them to go outside and find something that resembled life and bring it back in. that talk about it. So they went out a little bit. They came back in. And they opened them one at a time. The first one had a feather in it. They said, that's from a bird. And this little bird had new life. The second one they opened up had a little flower. and said, that's flower, new life, it's new growth. Another one opened up and it was a piece of grass. It was green. I picked on Eric the first hour and I said it was Eric, but probably it was Mark Croner. I picked up, opened another one that had a rock in it. They couldn't figure out what that was. And then they got the last egg, and they opened it, and nothing was in it. And boys and girls being boys and girls going, Ah, man, somebody didn't understand. Somebody couldn't find something. And then they said, Somebody didn't do it right. And Philip reached over and pulled the shirt of his teacher, and he said, That's my egg, and I did it right. It's Easter. The tomb was empty, and there's new life. Well, time passed. Summer came. Philip picked up a little infection that most kids just... Overcome, no problem. But Philip died. His little system couldn't take it. So they get to the funeral home, and they get to the funeral, and at the graveside, the Sunday school teacher and those eight-year-olds come to his casket, and they place an egg they open it and it's empty. That was the symbol for Philip's body having given up his spirit a new life beginning. You see, that's what Jesus offers for you. How can I be saved? By grace. You don't know what grace is. Mercy is you not getting what you deserve. Grace is you getting what you don't deserve. For by grace, God's grace giving you what you don't deserve, you're saved by faith. Two times in Acts they ask, what must I do? And this is what he said, repent and believe. Have you ever placed your trust in Christ Jesus? If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. That's what Christ is calling you to do today, right now. Let's pray together.